Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 20 of DN Discussions, the podcast for players and DMs alike, where we cover a wide variety of topics to help you with your games. I'm your host, Ryan Reeder, and with me, as always, is my partner in crime, Ben Bumhopper. How are you doing this evening, Ben? I'm doing great, Ryan, and I am actually really happy to say that now we can officially say that we have made tens of episodes. That's true. This is... This is... Two, two sets of double digits. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. No, we're, we're good. We're, we're rip-roaring and ready to go. And we're not alone in that, because tonight, joining us is the wonderful Kyle Ferguson, DM and player extraordinaire. Kyle, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Well, thanks for having me, guys. It's good to be here. It is always a pleasure talking to you, and I know I've told you that like three or four times now before we even started recording, but um, I gotta say, just your experience in Dungeons and Dragons and just tabletop role playing and everything is just so vast and has you know inspired me in a lot of different ways. So I'm really happy to have you on for the episode today. Oh, that's awesome to hear. I mean, it's cool that I get to share it and put it into words. Uh, the the process of DMing for me has always been very improvisational. So one of my favorite things, and listen to your guys' show as well, is hearing just how different DMs are. Like, some of them are, are, are map makers and world builders. Some of them are actors, but with, like, scripts and notes. Some of them are writers and, like, basically drop, like, full tomes on their players. Like, you found a diary. Here's the whole diary. And I'm definitely in that, like, well, you know, I'll wing it kind of territory. Well, and just wing wing multiple <laughs> pages of diary. That'd be pretty amazing, actually. Yeah. So, when you are actually uh, DMing and everything, how much prep do you put in beforehand if you do favor more of a uh, you know kind of an improv sort of style? I mean, I do a lot of like on paper balancing, very much based on what the party has encountered in the past and what I think they can handle. But I wouldn't even call it fudging. I just kind of change things on the go if it interests me my biggest <laughs> my biggest problem as a dm is becoming bored like oh man i'm gonna do a egyptian temple and then they're like ah well we can't play for a month we'll see you in four weeks i'm like i'm bored of this egyptian temple it's now a swamp <laughs> <laughs> the temple has sunk into the swamp exactly uh it's good stuff well kyle before we jump in why don't you give uh everyone just a little bit of background on yourself and uh your kind of history with D&D, like, you know, the, the the TLDR before we jump in. Oh, mine's probably a lot like everyone else's, but I ended up DMing as a player turned DM with a great group I met in high school. And from there, went on to just keep on DMing. I was kind of that guy. And as the hipster revolution hit, I was always that guy called upon <laughs> everyone wanted to say they had played D&D once and I roped them in for longer than once for sure uh, <laughs> from there I've joined there will be dungeons on the frog pants network where I am a player of a barbarian lizard folk named Varel and uh, right now I'm sure like many people out there I am working on figuring out all these weird online programs because my at home game has sadly had to move into the digital so do you DM for your, your home game? I do, yeah. Yeah, right now I have a a group of three, so a small little game going, but it's a, they all took the, just by themselves, they all took the soldier background. So it's been very military and very oh, fun wow, in that that's, way. 
Wow, that's very a neat. Nice, easy way to just throw them together for the start, at least. Right. I just barked at them to go up the hill and get something done for the general. <laughs> you know, half the time, you're like, oh man, this guy's like the child of a god. How am I going to mix that with the warlock who is seeing people? Nah. Nah, these guys just wanted to be soldiers. <laughs> They're all in the army. Yeah, screw a tavern. Uh, <laughs> they met in, you know, in service. Perfect. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, uh, tonight we're, we're going to talk about a few things. And of course, with Kyle being here, we're going to try and pick his brain as much as possible. But our, our DM topic tonight is thinking outside the box. And we've, we've talked a little bit before about, uh, player curveballs and, um, trying to improvise on the fly. But because Kyle, uh, as he just said, is such an improvisational style of DM, we kind of wanted to pick your pick your brain, Kyle, on just thinking outside the box as a DM, uh, creating creative characters, dealing with crazy things your players do, creating interesting situations. Uh, what's uh, that's just I just threw the entire like bucket at you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, what is your opinion on everything? Oh my. Well, you need to be ready for everything because or I'm ready. Yeah, players players do weird stuff out there. Uh I mean one of my favorite examples was a campaign where I said, you old man head east and they just went west. <laughs> so they mixed up the directions. I was just like, Alright, I picked up the whole kingdom and now it's a western kingdom. That's what you do. Oh man, it, you know, and it's funny because it, something that I've always found out, uh, DMing and everything is that no matter, you know, how well you think that you're like, you know, maybe peppering instructions or, you know, a cool plot points or something like that, the chances of a player, you know, really grasping on the exact little bit that you need is always kind of tricky and everything. Like, how are you able to, you know, keep your, your players kind of focused in on, you know, the story bites or beats or, you know, kind of maybe some sort of the, the pathways that you've kind of thrown out at them? I mean, my stories are really quite simple. I very much subscribe to the sort of, if, if, if we want to be all like college about it, oh, the mm-hmm. Joseph Campbell journey of a hero <laughs> kind of business. I am a little staunch about my feeling on factions i definitely you know i grew grew up through the gaming phase of everything's like seven factions and grind this one not a fan mm-hmm. into game of thrones where it's just nothing but factions so my my stories are incredibly simple and if you ask the backstory well there's you know an evil king and he has seven evil sons and you gotta you gotta kick their butts and that's that's sort of the through line i I feel like out there there's too much of a I want to impress with my world building when really I think people want an escape of just simple. Yeah. Because the players are going to make it complicated. They're the ones that are going to show up and be like, well, I want to join an Assassin's Guild. And you're like, oh, that's fine. I'll just fuck it up an Assassin's Guild and then put it in the city. And, and now there's a guild that I didn't plan, but it's there for the player. They're the ones that I'll add all the complexity I feel like DMs are always too front loaded. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's actually that's actually a really good tip. Uh, and we we've talked about this a little bit before. Just the it's it's so easy to over prepare, and a lot of times if you do over prepare, 
just depending on what your players do, it can actually leave you feeling very unsatisfied because mm. your players didn't do all this cool stuff that you prepared or you feel like you've wasted something since this whole chunk of stuff that was supposed to happen in this area of the city. You know, like you said, they, they went west. <laughs> yeah. And one other thing too, that I actually, uh, I, I always try to at least, uh, throw in a little bit here and there and everything. And it sounds like you, you know, since you are very kind of go with the flow and stuff, do you just, you know, take theories or ideas and everything. And especially if it's something better than what you had, just throw it in the story and be like, Hey, you're right. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, your players are going to be more invested in the strangest things. And in that way, they often, have those same traits I just rattled off of DMs earlier. You've got the writer who's going to give you the five 20-page backstory. Mm-hmm. you got the guy who's going to throw you some bullet points, but he drew his picture, and that is hugely important because he looks like his father, and now that's a whole side story. <laughs> you got to leave room for, for all that stuff they're adding in. Definitely. Oh, yeah, totally. And so kind of kind of along those lines, speaking, speaking of characters, um, we'll, we'll talk about kind of from a player standpoint in a little bit, but just as a DM for your, for your NPCs, um, how do you usually go about making them? Do you usually try to have your, like, here's my generic name list and they could run into generic, uh, brown hair, uh, brown eyed person on the street. Do you, do you like to dive deep in what you think are going to be important characters? Do you find, your players sometimes will make a character important that you didn't really plan on. Oh man. I would say that at this point, after so many years of DMing, uh, I also have the privilege of like constantly having new players. Whenever I I start a new campaign, very rarely I've moved so much. Am I playing with the same player base? Mm -hmm. So it's more like those, uh, what is it? The tales of interest from Futurama. (laughs) (laughs) We're like, there's Fry, there's the professor. The professor might be a goat now for some reason, but you know, <laughs> the professor's there doing the professor voice and and Leela's now a, a farmer and I'm I'm a little guilty of just like Simpsonifying my character base where they they tend to be a lot of the same people just in different clothes. Yeah, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that though because But it, no one knows because it's a different group. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, what's even more important, too, is the fact that as long as they're engaging to the players, it really doesn't matter too much what is, uh, you know, what it's skinned in. So being able to kind of go back to, you know, ideas or like archetypes that you've had in the past, it makes it very easy for you to just pull someone out of it, out of thin air and have them actually kind of developed already for, you know, any sort of level that you need them to be used with. Right, and just as you would grab onto a player saying, well, I want my father to be involved in my backstory, the same thing's happening in real time when you do a you know wacky old man. If no one's into the wacky old man, he walks off. Mm-hmm. But oh. if they're totally, like, digging him, he <laughs> suddenly is now the, the mayor. Act like, oh, well, I'm also... And you add him deeper and deeper into that story as people become more invested. And the same thing with, like, vampires and undead. Every once in a while... You play with a group and you're like, man, this this boss or this uh this monster is gonna be awesome. And you hit the ground, and they're all like, oh, oh, I've seen so many movies recently, excuse me. <laughs> and you just go, okay, this is not a zombie campaign. Moving on. 
<laughs> well, it, it's funny too because it, that's kind of how I developed uh, the shopkeeper that my players have run into. I had something entirely figured out and what I was going to do. They walked in the store within the first three seconds. I'm like, that's scrapped, thrown out. Now I have this entirely different person, and you know, rolled with it, and they ended up loving it. So, yeah, the the fluidity really helps a lot, especially in a, any sort of uh, you know interaction stuff that your players are going to be running around with. And, and it is, oh, go ahead, go. And, and that is, uh, you're like, you're shooting wide at the base, but as you build, of course, things start to reach conclusions, and you know you're going to be entering the temple of the evil god. And at that point, of course, I'm sitting there, you know, drawing out on my mat, like the full temple, decorating. All the improv does come to a peak of preparedness mm -hmm. at some point. Now, yep. and, you, oh, go ahead. I was say I I think you did you hit on a really key point earlier too, and it's and it's honestly I I would I would call it a DM skill is just learning to read the table, and being flexible enough to go a different direction or give up something that you had ready, or flexible enough to add in and develop something that you didn't originally think was going to be a big deal, but your players made it a big deal. Almost all of my best NPCs have come from my players making someone a much bigger deal than I initially intended them to be. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat, actually. Um, but Kyle, question for you, though. Um, with all the, you know, the, kind of the path that you've been able to play out and being, again, just, you know, very... Um, I don't know, liberal with the details. That's not the best way to put it, but whatever. Um, you know, very I improvisation throughout the whole thing. Do you keep a lot of notes like after a session so that you know what you have done so you can call back to things if you need to, uh, especially if you're planning like the big bad evil guy's fortress? Oh, definitely. Yeah. So you're starting with these really loose notes. Uh, basically, you have an idea you're passionate about. You want to maybe do that zombie campaign, but... You take into account the, okay, we got this soldier and, oh, a haunted one, and then you work them in. It's still really loose for that first session, but as you go, sort of doodle that first hamlet they're in. Okay, they're really into the longhouse where the chieftain is. Like, all right, let's find that out. So my my notebook setup is basically my notes, my player's notes, do the session, redo those notes. And every time I finish a game, I redo the notes as they solidify more and more. Okay. Yeah. yeah that's that's good. That's uh that's sounds really similar to to my style of uh campaign prep because I I I very much like to do my stuff in broad strokes and then note keeping for it, it feels like for an improvisational DM, note keeping is like your bread and butter because that's just really how you can then turn all these random things that you created on the fly and are going to forget otherwise <laughs> if you don't write them down. <laughs> I can't um, tell you how many times I've almost missed something or my players will call me out on something. And if I hadn't written that down, it's just like, oh, crap. I mean, no, the, the one I, I always think prepared. of first from the past is Ted Bullion the Ficus. And that was definitely one of those, like, my druid, without my knowledge, had learned the speak with plant spell, 
and he wanted <laughs> to see if anyone had walked by this way. So he's like, I, I want to talk to this. Well, what, what's here? Oh, that's a ficus. Well, what, what's its name? <laughs> and while you say it aloud, you write it down. Ted Bullion. <laughs> and oh my gosh. Little bullet point here. And of, of course, like, there's a lot of people who use like OneNote and, or just the internet, Google Docs. And if I was in that digital medium, I would go back through my notes and clean them up, add to them. But I am strictly getting away from the computer. I spend a lot of my work time at the computer. I want to be on the floor. I want to be at the table with everything spread out. So, mm-hmm. With that in mind, that is why things are a bit more archaic in my uh, my neck of the woods. Yeah, man, speaking of uh, talk to plants, my bard has talked to animals, and after they bought some horses, I, on the floor, I got to make up four different personalities. Perfect, yeah. <laughs> oh, so much fun. I have, uh, I don't remember fully, I have it in my notes, though, but, like, one of them's a valley girl, another one's, like, a depressed, like, Eeyore, and uh, one of them's just, a, just an incredible jerk who hates everybody. <laughs> So a lot of fun. It was a, it was a nice little conversation with her. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so I wanted to, to shift gears a little bit and talk about combat. And so I know a lot of, a lot of DMs like to do combat differently. Everyone's got their own style. Kyle, I wanted to kind of get a, a little bit of insight from you, uh, how you usually run combat, uh, how you, deal with uh on the fly calls let's uh, because players always want to do ridiculous things uh that isn't necessarily tied to any specific ability they can do uh so just kind of tell us what's your what's your style of of combat running for the most part it's based on what they've been able to handle in the past and over time you learn that sometimes they sort of uh, miniony small health group overwhelms a certain group you have maybe missing some of that aoe damage wizards and whatnot and then sometimes they just can't handle one big solid thing and once you have those sort of stumbles through you get into just knowing your party and what they can handle Mm -hmm. and that's really more where i stick with combat i i want it to be once a session max usually i like I prefer doing single bosses, but as time has gone on and has powers have become more more interesting and more debilitating, depending on the edition we're playing, I have to step away from that. Fifth edition is pretty good, though. Like, it's... You don't get dogpiled like you did in fourth. You're not as free as you were in third edition, but the players are also more balanced, so things make a bit more sense. Gotcha. Uh, overall, which edition do you prefer from uh, all the ones that you've played? I mean, I'm playing a lot of 5th edition right now just because it's, it's the one to be talking about. And that's the one I have with my home game right now. But 3rd edition, 3.5 in particular, is my is my jam. That is my gonna go visit the family, gonna be in Florida for a bit, see some friends. Let's have Kyle DM something. Alright, it's gonna be 3rd edition because that's that's in the head. That's the one that's memorized. I don't need the book to bring with. We're just going to have the D20 and some dice and get it done. Gotcha. A- any specific preference or reason why? Or is it just uh, that's the one that you've played the most so far? I think in terms of one shots, fifth edition is kind of 
boring unless you jump straight to three, and then things get really complicated fast because there's so many prestige classes, and with the whole, you know, D&D Beyond thing, or paths, as they're known, mm-hmm. you have that whole, like, do you own this book? Oh, that's why you couldn't see X. Did you join my campaign? You're just trying to get them to play for the first time, and you have to get them to, like, log into your campaign so they can see your books. Half of them just go, ah, I'll just make it uh, on my own without adding anything, and then they miss out on all the cool options, end up as that one type of warlock they can be and that's that's kind of it's kind of dull but i mostly enjoy the the single monster balance of 3.5 it is it's really based around dealing with single opponents mm-hmm. um it, it not that fifth edition can't be and i really like that fifth edition is so aware that acs can't get too high when you throw more powerful 3rd edition or 4th edition monsters at players, they can't even hit them. So you are limited in that way. Yeah. Uh, a level 2 goblin is still usable for a level 12 party. Its health pool won't really last, but it still <laughs> like packs a decent punch mm-hmm. and can have an influence on the battlefield. Yeah. Okay. So, kind of kind of speaking of that, uh, we, we talked... Um, little bit ago about skill challenges which are not like an official fifth edition thing is there is there anything that you really liked in an older edition that you would like to see brought to uh, the current edition like skill challenges like uh like minions i believe maybe fourth edition yeah uh, that had those yeah yeah is there anything like that that you'd really think bringing it to the newer edition would make it really fun or anything you've homebrewed uh, from older editions to, to bring to your current games? Mm, I mean, my biggest homebrew is probably around crits. Uh, mechanically at my table, if you crit, you roll a second time and see if you completed the hit with a normal hit. And that kind of tells me where that crit happened. But for the most part, if you roll the double, you know, you roll the crit, natural twenty, roll again, see if you can do it, then you hit. That's a decapitation. That's a instant kill no matter what's in the world. I mean, granted, you know, bosses, you might be like, oh no, you destroyed its head, but out pops, you know, seven heads. Oh my god, (laughs) seven demons. And you might, you know, mess with that because you want it to be climactic and you don't want to ruin that rhythm you built. Uh, Outside of that, I just really like the creativity and openness of third edition spells. It wasn't a time that was very miniature based. Mm. And mm-hmm. nowadays, prompting movement, having people even go prone, fall down, be restrained, all these sort of status effects get in the way of the imagination because they're so stale, mm-hmm. uh, strict, yeah, and restrictive. De- definitely, uh, for sure. Yeah, it's, it's the whole. It's basically that problem with you know showing someone a picture of the monster and then just leaving it up the whole time. Everyone's looking at that thing the whole time and they can't picture it moving anymore. You kind of need to flash it in their faces and then take it away. So as you describe it, it's now a living part of their imagination. And fourth edition really struggled with this because of bloodied. Mm-hmm. Every, are you bloodied? I'm bloodied. Are you? Blo- oh, you're blo- Oh, I'm bloodied. I'm like, oh, well, I, can, I can use this because I'm bloodied. Like, and we were all just constantly using in-game 
terminology in game and we have to break that it's 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 about that immersion and i'm i'm fine with fifth edition i think they did a lot with it but third edition is just so open that i feel like i can apply a fireball explodes and you're knocked down like not not knocked prone you you are blown back oh blown back that sounds awesome and but you're also knocked prone and restrained you're like what well, what do those words mean? <laughs> I, I was having this passionate, like, idea. I stand up. Okay, that's half your movement. No. Oh. oh. I was just getting up. Like, I'm a badass. I just got up. And they're like, yeah, but mechanically, half your movement. Yeah, I, I did the really cool, like, backflip, kickflip, jump thing. That's still half. <laughs> so do you do you find yourself, for the most part, then using theater of the mind-based combat with just, like, drawings to help out a little bit and not doing a whole lot of the miniature type combat. Right. It's a lot of, you know, circles with the letter D in it for Dominic, who is engaging and a little arrow shooting towards and then a cross out where he was for the most part. Yeah. As I said, when we get to, you know, the big bosses, the big climactic battles where I think the tactics or the fight is going to be the majority of the game session. Mm -hmm. That's where I'm there with my chess X and with my markers and, you know, doodling the whole thing up. I'm, I don't like using miniatures too, too much because I simply don't own a lot of miniatures. So when we do go into miniature combat, we know it's important and we're used to theater of the mind. So when you see me put that same darn drider down for the 50th time, <laughs> we all know it's a dragon because I don't own a dragon. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, driders. I freaking hate those things. But. I mean, that's a, like that. That is a, a style of mine that I enjoy that improvisation, because I don't even know if by the time I get to the end, you know, they might be like, oh, wait. It, it scales. Oh, my God. And you're like, I'm playing this white dragon fights a low level encounter and they're like scales stone caves. It's a basilisk. And you're like, well, they're so darn happy. <laughs> they <figured out laughs> I'm just going to make it a basilisk. Yeah, I mean, and the thing is, I think um, when people really do go in and overprepare and and really try to mold the entire experience, I mean, first of all, the railroading is just very unsatisfying for pretty much everybody, except for, you know, the really over-abusive DM and everything. But being able to just, you know, remember that everyone's there to have a good time, to have fun, and, you know, making it as collaborative as you can really helps enhance a lot of that joy that everybody's going to be experiencing and it's all like we've been saying it's all about the effort you put into it and where that sort of time allowment goes if we all had infinite time we'd all have you know, awesome walls and and uh, these painted miniatures and this there like you know i when calls upon it i sit down with my lighter and burn some paper edges you know i i, I, <laughs> I, I get right. into it i i, I tea stain that map but it's about where that effort's going and what I feel like could be the most important thing. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, one thing, just to kind of walk it back a tiny little bit, um, it, I mean, it really got to me when you were talking about using the, the just mechanical words and everything from like fourth edition, like bloodied specifically and everything. Um, God, I had a ton of that too in fourth edition and I hated bloodied. But um, what, what sort of... I don't know, like, what are your, your go-to descriptors to kind of uh, help convey a lot of that imagery and a lot of the the different, um, I don't know, like, maybe status effects or 
or or hints to the players of of something that's kind of going on without just straight up saying, "Oh, um the the characters or the the monsters at half health." You got things like the, you know describing the damage on them or they they seem like they're on the edge, but I even just fell into my own trap. And that is the biggest thing I catch myself on. It's like, oh my gosh, I just said like. Like, it's trying to like not say like, right? Like, you, you catch yourself <laughs> and you're like, I, I shouldn't be, be saying these words. They're, they're bad. Or, yuh-huh, instead of yes. Like, my biggest one of those is it's kind of like, or it's as if. Mm-hmm. And it, it just, I hate when I say that because it's so DM-y. <laughs> it's just it's a thing because we all want everything to be mysterious. It's as if he's holding on to his last breath. It as though the room was silent. The room is silent, like. <laughs> 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 but we all want there to be that. Like, is it quiet? Is it silent? Like, I know you rolled a twenty-five on perception. You're pretty darn <laughs> sure the room is empty. It's as though no one's been there, <laughs> and that that is definitely my. The thing I think that I can avoid to make those moments more impactful and more interesting. Okay. That's good. That's good. I need to, I need to keep that in mind. I I catch myself saying like way too much oh, we <laughs> when, all, I'm, we when I'm using descriptors. It's yeah, it's it, such a built-in thing. Well, and, and you want it to be mysterious, you know? Yeah. A lever on the wall, as though left for the ages. Like that's more interesting than uh, uh, you might. Or uh, it's it's tough. It's tough. It takes a lot of work, but it's worth it. And then people don't start catching on to your cues, and that means there's more mystery. There's more exploration in the end. Like they'll they'll meta game you. They'll know what word you like to use when you want it to be mysterious or the role <laughs> wasn't good enough. Mm, yep. Yeah. And kind of kind of building off of Ben's Ben's question too, uh, for for a DM who who likes you know the the sound of this type of thing and wants to be a little more I guess uh, fluid in their in their combat versus the because it is true when you when you throw that board out with those little little five foot squares, a certain amount of rigidness is introduced into combat that just really doesn't exist when you're when you're doing theater of the mind. So what would you what what kind of tips would you give a DM who wants to move maybe a little more of their combat towards that aspect versus someone who's just been playing with miniatures or with those five foot squares? Definitely be small. I mean don't be afraid of just failing, getting completely surrounded that's going to happen a lot as players learn tactics and get used to the board. If you try to transition to this, they're going to be, I flank. Well, okay, in our imagination, we now need to move around those little squares, and your doodle's going to get messy pretty quick. For the most part, just keep those small fights small and simple. And then your big fight can be the balanced thing. When it's nothing but grid, players are more cautious about, you know, what we can say in 4th edition was, you know, dailies. But mm-hmm. they're higher level spells or they're long rest abilities. And when it's more of a theater of the mind thing, they don't really know what's good or what they should be using or how dangerous that enemy is. 
they really get inside your own head when you whip out the board. And I'm fine with that for, like, the boss. They know the name dude is there. It is time to throw down, and we can all enjoy blowing everything we got. Uh, and I, I'm wondering if, if you've noticed this before, too. I've, I've noticed a lot when I do board-type combat that my players will move around a lot less than when mm. we do Theater of the Mind. Have you, have you experienced that, too? Yeah, and, and it's because of that restrictedness with the movement. Nobody ever wants to spend their turn just moving. And I think that's what makes like chase sequences so difficult, is everyone wants to be doing more than running, but all you're doing is running, so your turn, okay, my turn's over, your turn, my turn's over. Yeah. I, I do like to you know, add a crow's nest in range of the archer, so they're, they're going to camp out anyway. Let's at least see if we can get them to make something interesting happen. Bad guys should always be okay spending their turns moving because that can open up opportunities to make your players move. And that's mm -hmm. where I found, like, outside of, like, map design, which is exhausting and very intense and you can't plan for everything your players are going to do. Plus, eventually they get teleport and, like, walk through walls. So <laughs> who cares at that point? <laughs> yeah, right. But it's better to have your monsters highly mobile to force them to at least think about their mobility. Yeah, that is exactly what I'm actually experiencing now. I do um, a lot of board combat just because it's it's kind of what I grew up with. So that's, you know, a lot more of what I'm used to. Plus, for the most part, I'm trying to build like kind of bigger fights with a lot of enemies. And it's just easier to, you know, kind of keep track of everything in my mind, at least with everything going on that way. And I find that there isn't a whole lot of movement going on if I'm just keeping all my, my, you know, mobs and everything in their own place. And I'm trying to get so much better about moving and everything. And, and it always falls into the whole, okay, well, we've got, you know, the paladin who's the biggest threat. These mobs know that it's the biggest threat. They're going to run up and try to attack. It's like, well, yeah, they're melee mobs. Why aren't they running away? And I'm trying to come up with good reasons for that as well as, you know, work other things into it. And I find that. As uh, time's been going forward and everything, my my battle maps are getting a little bit more and more elaborate with you know more stuff around, so that at least things can take cover. They can run away and grab other things and and stuff like that. And it's it's been a challenge just kind of growing into that. So you know I, I've I've got to start uh, throwing in some theater of the mind in there to kind of help you know push it along, so that hopefully that'll translate when we get onto the the grid and everything. Well, and that's the difficulty with the grid, too, is that you've now set up your play space. You don't want to run away because I, I put darn work into this nice little hallway. I don't want <laughs> I don't want to break my entire dungeon by having them run outside of it through the room that takes up my whole chest board. Well, it's it's interesting, too. Um, and you you kind of alluded to the whole, you know, keep it keep it smaller. I, I found back when I was DMing three and four people, I leaned much heavier on theater of the mind mm -hmm. uh, combat than, than pulling out my board. My home group that I DM now is six people. It starts getting, the more people you add, it starts getting much harder to, to theater of the mind things. But then I always kind of go back to one, one battle sequence that happened quite a while ago, and my players still talk about it, because it was a theater of the mind, it was literally a fight 
with three orcs through buildings and through just through this town, multiple buildings. I mean, movement was kind of out the window and it was just one of the funnest things that we'd, we'd ever done. And part of it was because there, it, it would not have been anywhere near as exciting or fun if it had been on a board. Because uh, one of the things, too, just to kind of add on, it's not just movement. It's um, you've got your, your height axis that boards just don't convey well. And I find that players ask a lot more questions about the environment. Uh, can I climb up this? Can I go here? Is there something to hide behind? And as a DM, if your battle map's all out, we can be like, well, nope, there's no rock there on the battle map. Sorry. There's no, nothing, <laughs> nothing you can do. Right. Whereas otherwise, oh yeah, there's totally a rock over there. Yeah. Or just, am I in range? Mm-hmm. And they know by the time you get to like, we've all seen that player too. They're, I've I've often had like the bummer guy because <laughs> by the time you get to his turn he's looked at the board and he's realized that he's not in range and he can't get in movement and so he's just going to throw his turn you know fly flourish and be done yeah <laughs> but how many times in the theater of the mind does someone say do I make it and you say yeah yeah of course they may have run 60 feet and it didn't really matter because you want them to make it because they're excited and they think they can pull off this cool new thing. It's, it's, it's more fun for the player to be able to actually do something. Because let's be honest, even though sometimes it happens, no one really wants to spend their turn going, I move 30 feet, I use my action to dash. Yeah. So you gotta, you gotta leave yourself some flexibility within the rules because... And you may you may just be in a game with a bunch of you know live by the the player handbook die by the player handbook type people, but I, I found that majority a lot of people will take fun over rules, especially if you are ruling in the player's favor. Mm-hmm. Well, and you brought up a great point too that does you know throw the lichpin the the big problem in the theater of the mind that is too many players. At that point, we are definitely decreasing combat more because the social interactions are so much more important. Mm-hmm. We have that many more ideas on the table. Coming up with a plan, like, if you want to have a lazy day, make your players make a plan, and you just sit back and watch them argue the whole thing. I, often, when my oh, parties have gotten up to <laughs> 12 people, even, that's when I'm, like, really splitting up the party. There's evil mist that makes them get lost. Now only groups of threes taking three at a time and you know they're in the living room, but come on back to my room, guys. Like, you know, this is that secret meeting. And then it all climaxes <laughs> when we rejoin and we just spend four hours. Now it's time for one hour of combat and to be done for the day. Yeah, that's that's a that's a really cool thing. And I think it's a great uh transition into kind of our next topic. Uh role playing your character. And this is this is something that we've we've touched on a little bit, but we haven't gone in depth on. And I really wanted to kind of get your point of view. You you're you're on a D and D stream show. There will be dungeons. You guys have done over a hundred episodes. 
now. Like it's it's been going for quite a while. You've been playing the same character the entire time. So I really wanted to kind of sit back and just get your tips for how to really get into your character, role play your character, uh, develop that backstory, and just uh, grow them over the course of a <laughs> hundred sessions. Well, I think I froze. Hold on. Has been a lot of changes, but I'm really happy with how how much the core character has stayed the same. But I'm also the most experienced D&D player at that table. So for me, I was down to be the wizard. I was down to be the crazy one. I was down to basically <laughs> Phil. And I showed up with a with a characterization that the party needed and had its own space for. And that was would probably be my biggest advice for anyone who wants to play D&D and has done it before with any regard like you don't want to out you don't want to have that battle to see who's the most just who's the goodest who's the best stealer just let them have it and hopefully you can figure that that out before the first session so you can really establish your character Mm -hmm. well one of the things that i really appreciate about there will be dungeons and varel is the fact that because he's a lizard folk you bring such a different perspective to every encounter uh, you know everything that happens in that game is from an entirely different point of view than you know any of us are used to and it's you know thoroughly entertaining just like hearing him learn about social situations or you know in his mind what defines oh this is a city so this stuff is going to happen he's got his checklist and everything um how is it that you're able to kind of you know really embody that and uh, like we said you've you've grown that character and that whole ideology of Varel's throughout all these episodes like how do you maintain that level of um gosh alien you know viewpoint and to my previous point it's made all the easier because none of the other characters are doing anything like that yep so it, it, <laughs> yeah you yeah find Varel every every time I get to make one of those choices. Though, you know, to, to spoil a little bit, it's the bro Dragonborn. Like, I said I had my Futurama stock characters. <laughs> yes. This is, this is the bro Dragonborn, and he's a little different depending on his class and who he is. This one's a lot more influenced by things like, you know, less of a party bro, more of a, a, a wharf from Star Trek, mm-hmm. or a Kronk from Emperor's New Groove. And for me, when I finally decide or I get to lock in that character, I often run online and start looking up quotes from characters like them and then just start jumbling them all together. And once you find catchphrases, I'll never forget growing up Knights of the Old Republic mm-hmm. and the robot saying meat bag. Yep. <laughs> and 47, best, one of the best characters ever, ever put into a game. Right. And the simple fact that the, the statement question sort of style he had of talking was very powerful. But the regard he had for living beings, what he referred to them as like there's also this ridiculous old show called um, Pirates of Darkwater. And they made it's a it's a pirate kids cartoon, but they made up all their own curse words because they knew that pirates cursed all the time. <laughs> so in this foreign bogus language this cartoon show is has cursing pirates 
but it adds so much to that world and allows you to actually be like, oh, yeah, you know, let's buy into this. Nice. That's pretty awesome. Um, so one of the, one of the things I find that especially, especially new players, um, and sometimes, sometimes old players, uh, have, have issues with is, um, something, something called metagaming. And metagaming is basically just using knowledge that your character would not have of a, of a specific situation to influence what your character's actions would be. Is this, is this something that, have you, have you conquered this? Is this something that, uh, you, you still struggle with? Uh, do you have any tips that you can help people? Because it does directly impact role playing your character. Right. And, and you're talking about like the particular DM kind of meta gaming for your DM, or are you talking about like, I read a lot online and I'm optimized meta gaming? Um, I, I mean, Metagaming can take many forms. It can take the, oh yeah, I know exactly what that monster is and all his stats and his exact HP. Or it can be, this. we're at the same table. This character, um, one of my friend's characters, had a conversation with this guy that no one else was present for, but I still heard it because I was at the table. And now I'm using some of that knowledge to make decisions for X situation. Yeah. I once had a player who I, I scattered all over the ground was gems of different colors and on the wall was slots and they had to put in the right combination to open the door. He puts it in in the right order the first time because I think that's the order Kyle would like. <laughs> and I, and I, I'm like, I, you got it, the door opens, I'm not going to stop you. But that, <laughs> that never... I'll never know why he thought I wanted purple, red, green, blue, and then he was like, "Yeah, that's it. That's that's the color combination." That's actually uh, that looks really pretty in that order. So no, I can see that. Yeah, yeah, you, you <laughs> dug it. Uh, I mean, I I like for other players to feel powerful, particularly newer players. So you know, in Varel's case, he's highly unoptimized. He's often Brawling with Justice Fitz or whatever he's picked up off the ground. If he misses with a weapon, it gets discarded rather quickly because it's it's a failure of a weapon. He doesn't take weapons off slain enemies because <laughs> they're failure weapons. They're mm-hmm. weapons of dead people. You know, yet you have to find something that works for you. And those sort of heavy character rules are what make those choices most enjoyable. And there's certainly been times like we had to fight a vampire once. That that exact ex- exactly what came to mind. Yeah, yeah. The the windows are boarded up. There's the creature crawling around, hissing, trying to bite us, and you know, healing a bunch. And you know, we all knew it was a vampire, but it was just more fun to struggle in that situation and see if we could figure it out naturally. Mm-hmm. But Got that's me. not every table, and. Sometimes someone's going to spoil it faster than others, in which case, hopefully that person has some amount of lore knowledge. They can work it in. The DM is like, how do you know those things? Why are you, you know, making potions out of their blood when you don't even know what the creature was? You just. <laughs> yeah, I mean, who knows? Maybe they just read Twilight in, uh, you know, the solar mines. Exactly. It's like <laughs> a, a character on that very show. <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 hard sometimes. It really is to to kind of separate uh, 
um, the stuff. And, you know, sometimes uh, my, my, my personal preference is I, I don't mind the whole metagaming of, all right, we are about to go into the situation. We're just going to talk this through and come up with a strategy. Like, I love to see my players do that because it's critical thinking, even if it's more like, this is super immediate. You would need to, you just need to go. And sometimes that happens, but a lot of times I, the players love to talk those types of things through. Mm-hmm. And so I like to give that to the players. I, I'll, I'll, I will call people out and say, hey, you know, you weren't at this particular conversation and you're making a decision based on that that your character wouldn't know. But it's one of the things I love to do uh, is I like to give inspiration. Uh, DM gives inspiration. Wow, look at that. Just a, <laughs> just a, just a plug right there for a, another awesome podcast. Uh, <clears throat> I like to give inspiration to people who do play in their character and do play to their character traits as a DM, you've got their backstories. You know exactly what all their history and stuff is. And so I, I, I really find that it's good to reward that type of play and encourage it because that way you can really kind of show the player a really good decision or that was a really good way to play because that's what your character would have done. 100% agree. Absolutely. Like that is what inspiration is for is to reward players we're making unoptimized choices based on the character they made. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Oh man, that is uh, that's a lot of good stuff, and we're we're getting a little close to our our time. So I wanted to talk about a few more things before before we left. And firstly, as everyone knows, we're we're kind of in, uh, especially in the U.S., but kind of worldwide. A, a quarantine right now uh and we're we're being uh suggested that we and sometimes uh ordered to stay home and do stuff and for a lot of people who play home games this can be a, a big disruption uh <laughs> for a lot of things it can be a big disruption but this is specifically a D podcast so it can be really disruptive to your home games and so all of us have had a decent bit of experience playing online. So I just kind of wanted to round table it a little bit. Uh, what kind of tips would, would you guys give people uh, who have not played online or who have done home games only or who, man, I've got a lot of free time. D and D sounds awesome. Uh, how do I, how do I get involved? How do I play online? What types of things do I need to have? Uh, well, one of the fun things is uh, my campaign that I DM right now is entirely online. Um, it's it's always been that way because we had uh, or we have a player in California as well as two that were that were in, I think, South Dakota, North Dakota. It's one of the Dakotas. I forget which. Um, but since then, they've they've actually moved here. But we still had that one member in California. So we just play online over Discord and, uh, you know, you might wonder why earlier I was talking about using a battle map and everything. Well, I just have a camera pointed at the map and I have figures for them for when I need to move them and stuff. And nice. Yeah. It, it actually, it works out really well for me. Um, I, I was really lucky because Nevermore picked up 
a uh, basically what would be you know like a, a an overhead camera that you know schools would use for you know like writing papers and stuff and putting it you know on a screen or something. So I'm just able to kind of put that overhead and you know move things around. They tell me where to go and it works out pretty well for us. That's awesome. What about you, Kyle? You've been you've been playing a a, a very long running stream only game. What uh, what have you kind of learned from that? What kind of tips would you give people for for playing online? It helped a lot that we were all podcasters and we give each other a lot of room to talk. Oh, yeah. uh, sometimes, of course, that does mean there is quiet time if no one has anything to say and the DM says, "Oh, okay, well, let's walk forward." But <laughs> the biggest struggle I see in Excited players who have consumed media like Critical Role taking online is that that show is filmed together and they are always talking over each other. Mm -hmm. And it's not a problem. In fact, when I'm DMing at home, that's a good moment. Like mm -hmm. Paladin and the Rogue are arguing in character, but you're talking to this character over here and those <laughs> two are off. You know, maybe someone's just doodling on the ground or making some ramen or something, but you know. Like everyone is into it and, and involved and there's such a, it can be show stopping taking it online. So finding that patience is really tough. I think too, you're sitting right there and social media is available. Uh, you're one click away from playing a Hearthstone game if you wanted to. <laughs> like making sure you still have those heavy rule sets that this is a distraction. We are in the world of, you know, lore, and we are all making an effort to be present. It's really, really important. Yeah, I definitely wholeheartedly agree with that. It's, um, you know, very near the beginning, it's something we kind of talked about, but it's been one of those rules that um, it, it at this point is definitely unspoken. I don't have to remind anybody or anything, but we're all, you know, really focused in paying attention and, you know, respecting the other players for, you know, whatever they're saying, whatever they're doing, because a lot of it does have to do with, you know, paying attention to everything that's going on, like just as if you're in a tabletop game, but really understanding that the mics don't really work out too well if you're speaking over each other. And it's just a whole big, you know, mess of blur. So that that's a great example, Kyle. Yeah. And to, to add on to that, uh, cameras. Cameras are so important, mm -hmm. uh, at least in my opinion, when you're doing online games because they can help you focus uh, a little bit to, to remove some of the uh, allure of distractions like social media, like that Hearthstone game. And it allows you to see the rest of the players and their expressions and kind of uh, and read them. And it makes it much more like a face-to-face -face conversation rather than just I'm talking to somebody on the phone, which really can help your role-play aspects a lot. Well, and, and that you're missing out on that moment where the DM sees it before their waking eyes, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, Harrison Ford, love him. How could he not? <laughs> the man can't see graphics. Like, <laughs> he's looking at a starship fly by. It's, he's looking in the wrong direction. He's he's talking to a thing that is fully computerized, can't see it, but you give him a real like prop and a real Wookie, and he's he's in there, he's doing his business, and <laughs> you, at least the DM has to have that camera to spark that that imagination journey that we're all about to go on when when the smile creeps into his face. Mm -hmm. 
Oh, I, again, I agree with that. It's, um, whenever I would actually switch to that battle map camera, I'd still be, you know, energetic and talking with my hands and, and everything like that. And, um, you know, my players even said, it's like, Hey, it's, it's not exactly the same if, you know, when we switch to the camera, cause we can't see you anymore. So at that point I just, uh, downloaded a plugin for OBS. And so I'm using my camera with the, the battle map camera hooked together and then sending a virtual camera to discord, which it sounds like super duper hard to do, but just Google it. And it is so super simple, just like OBS to discord. And it'll tell you exactly what you need for that. And by doing that, it actually helped out a lot, uh, especially with the battles because, you know, they see me getting excited about different things or, you know, like, like, I love it when my players just totally decimate something, even though, you know, it's like, oh, maybe I've built it up to be something really cool, but they just like one shot something. I'm just like, <laughs> that's awesome. Good job. You know, and they can definitely tell that it's very genuine because I'm proud of them and or of something that they came up with that just destroyed the entire, you know, encounter or something. And um, mixed with that, you know, understanding of the other players and being able to really read their emotions and everything. Um, on top of that, I think that trust is actually one of the most important things about, uh, playing online, you know, when it, whether it comes to like dice rolls or something along those lines, you need to be able to know that what someone's rolling is what they're rolling. You know, you don't want someone walking up and, you know, natural 20 like six rolls in a row. It's like, okay, I didn't think that, uh, you know, us not sitting next to each other would make you start cheating, but Mm, I I do use 3D dice uh, from Roll20 or uh, Google Hangout actually had a really good built-in dice system, particularly for uh, Edge of the Empire, the Star Wars game. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm I'm learning Fantasy Grounds. That's where I... uh, My game's going to be moving online. That's where I want to take it because Fantasy Grounds is so in-depth, but it's, it's like running... AutoCAD, like (laughs) you got to go to like university to it. You have to know all the kinks and all the weird stuff. But once you know what's going on, it it does a lot for you. And when playing online, which is not my preferred method, I kind of want to have people have a shared experience. I want to do, you know, maybe Ravenloft uh, or the Curse of Strahd. So Mm -hmm. at least if we're all at computers anyway, they can go to Reddit and be like, how did you beat this boss and have those conversations? Gotcha. Oh, uh, I like well, I like that that uh, perspective. Um, something to to take a look at too. You might be interested in it's, uh, uh you know, full disclosure. Something I kickstarted a while ago. It funded and everything, but uh, it's called Tailspire. It's by a um, I forget what country it's in, but it's uh by Bouncy Rock. And they're basically making a digital uh, three-dimensional like plotting grid and everything. So it's like using animated miniatures for everything. But it looks exactly like D&D miniatures. They even have like a little base and everything. And it's, it's going into beta soon. But uh, keep an eye on that because that's something that's... I mean, you can like build towns, dungeons, and everything. And it looks to be pretty cool. Um, and I'm actually really looking forward to it to be able to report on later on, but I mean, things are all animated. You can do, you know, set up traps and everything so that if a player like steps on something, it'll automatically hit everything. You you can roll through it and stuff. It's, uh, 
I know this isn't helping right now, which is what we're talking about, but I did want to bring it up because it is pretty cool stuff. No, I'm really excited about that one. I, I love yep. how dark it is, a very Diablo mm-hmm. kind of the the tile sets are. There's also one I've been keeping an eye on called Multiverse, which is pixelated and very much along those lines of things like Stardew Valley or um, Moonlighter. Okay. And it but has just like a shared experience type setup. Yeah, it, I mean, it is a playing field, but it's done in that pixel style. And granted, you know, the game is automatically in that way going to be cuter in people's minds. The adventure might not be as dire, you know, more more Link-esque in that way of Hyrule. The aesthetic is just so, so important when you get there. Because the second you give people visuals... Mm-hmm. That's it. Yep. It, it helps. It helps a lot. Um, and honestly, uh, Ben, I actually uh, kickstarted Tailspire too. So we're going to oh, have cool. to try it out together Definitely. at some point. Uh, but honestly, just from a, from a playing online perspective, it has never been easier and there have mm-hmm. never been more tools than now to be able to get a game going online, like we were saying, Zoom, Discord, Skype, Google Hangouts. There's so many free like camera and audio solutions you can use. You've got Roll20, you've got Fantasy Grounds, uh, you've got <laughs> throwing a JPEG <laughs> inside of a chat box and saying, this is the map, guys. <laughs> you've got D&D Beyond for your digital character sheet that can manage kind of all your stuff i mean there's there's never been an easier time to to play dnd online mm-hmm. definitely and speaking of that uh as we kind of uh move toward the tail end of our episode our community content shout out this week is actually incarnate and uh we we may have mentioned this in the past before this is mm-hmm. a map making software that just went into its v1 implementation and it's got a ton of stuff and ben i know you have been subbed to this thing for a little while now why don't you just kind of tell us a little bit about it oh yeah no we did uh we talked about this in our map making episode actually um but it is a absolutely fantastic map generator where you are able to go in draw everything that you want they have uh stamps for like um, you know, different types of towns and buildings and trees. And it, it's, um, gosh, it, it's, it's, it's something that has tools that let you, you know, go through and make something pretty fast. If you want to make like a forested area, you choose like how big of an area you want to do. You just hit trees and then drag the tool around and it just builds the forest for you and everything. Um, I've built, I've, I've made a map for, uh, one of my, my small towns for this, I, my whole like area, of uh like the, the the whole sage coast where they're adventuring right now i'm starting to build like a continental map with it and everything and with the upgrade to version one it's the the tools that they have for it have actually gotten a lot better like instead of just you know kind of drawing a you know say like your landmass or whatever you can have it so that oh it's just a regular circle so that you can you know kind of draw your coastline or it's kind of jagged so it puts the a more natural look to everything in there and i mean just Overall, if if you went and checked it out in the previous episode, I think I want to say it was like maybe fourteen or something that uh, we talked about this. Go back and look now. 
the the link's going to be in our notes and i mean just the upgrade alone is so worth just you know checking it out highly recommended awesome um before we before we go we usually talk a little bit about um what we have done in our previous games and kyle is uh well, uh, since you're the guest, uh, why don't you tell us just a little bit about uh, your last your last game? Either uh, everyone can, can go check out There Will Be Dungeons, but what have you what have you got going in your uh, game you're DMing? Oh man! So, <laughs> so in this last uh, this last big one I DM'd, it was a big a big one shot for my family uh, back when we were in Florida, and mm-hmm. it ended up being a group of dwarves who built a city on top of an old mine but the mine was sacred to some kobolds and they turned the sacred mines into their sewers <laughs> so the kobolds <laughs> gathered together and made a puamental to attack the town yes <laughs> nice very very cool. uh, did it go exactly how it sounds like it went it was it was really good actually. They ended up siding with the Cobolts a bit, learning their story, tricking the evil mayor down to the Cobalt village where he was eaten by the Pumental. And never seen again. <laughs> Sounds like but, that mayor had a crappy time. Yeah. I, I it's it's so wacky in the telling, but man, they were so invested and no one cared that it was made of poop. Like <laughs> that's not, so like, great though. It's it's wacky, but in those moments, it totally worked, and I, and I love that thing. That's I mean, that's all that matters is that you had fun and your players had fun. Mm-hmm. If that's the case, you know, it doesn't matter what the story's about. Exactly. Uh, ben, what about you? You've uh, you got a session coming up, or you just finished one? Uh, I have a session coming up, actually, April fourth. I am really looking forward to that. Uh, in fact, um, I, I haven't been doing too much in the way of playing other than uh, plus five to hit. But prep wise, I've been painting uh, miniatures and stuff for, you know, like like barrels, treasure chests, uh, bunches of other stuff, because we're starting to get into a point where we're going to uh, not, not to spoil it too much for the my players who actually listen to this. Um, they're going to run into a. Uh, bad guy we'll just say that <laughs> yeah how about you ryan what are you guy. up to <laughs> i love that you're so vague i can't wait to to hear the this actual story yeah, once it happens. i can't really say much <laughs> uh, <laughs> um my my next session is going to be april 10th and it's going to going to be my online one uh they're deep in a dwarven tomb I think, and I talked about it a little bit last week, and three of them have gotten taken by some sort of creature, and it's going to be really interesting because they haven't had a long rest in like three or four combats now. Ooh. So this is this has been the hardest I have ever stretched them, and it's it's been really interesting to see how that has caused them to have to adapt instead of just having the all right, long rest, nuke everything, long rest nuke everything type type setup. So that's that's been kind of fun and a new experience for them. And then I've uh I've got my campaign with my dragon player character tomorrow night. 
actually. We are on, it's, it's kind of a, um, oh man, what is, what is, what is the magic tech, uh, setting? It's just, I the, the, there's a book that came out. Eberron? Sort of, Eberron. Oh, right. Good Lord. Yes. Uh, it is, it's very Eberron-esque campaign. So we are, we are now aboard basically a magical bullet train. Oh, wow. Heading to a, a large city. And this, um, uh, cowboy-like guy with this pet just waltzed into our, our train car. And that's where we ended the, the session. And so it's, it's going to be, uh, <laughs> it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. I, I, I expect train shenanigans at some point. <laughs> no ticket. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be fun. Yeah. But yeah, uh, guys, that's our show. Thank you so much, Kyle. Holy crap for coming and, uh, sharing your knowledge with us. Mm-hmm, yeah, though, this was a blast. I mean, getting to getting to talk D and is always fun, but also among fellow DMs, it's not something you get to do often. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. So thank you for it's, having it's me. Wonderful, and, and thank you for pointing me to this uh, incarnate thing. I've, I've got a little boat here I'm making, and I'm out <laughs> down, and I mean, this doodle tool with the land is just it's just a it's blast. incredible. Oh, isn't it great? It's super <laughs> fun. I'm doing this all night. <laughs> I, I expect to see see uh map pictures on your twitter here in the next few days noted noted i'll make sure it's good <laughs> all right looking forward to it in fact uh i actually just started a new map a couple nights ago uh my players haven't reached the main city yet so that's what i started drawing nice looking forward it's always to it. good to to have the main cities planned out Definitely. a little, little bit more uh well ben why don't uh why don't you tell everybody where they can they can find us, and then we'll have uh, Kyle give all his shout-outs. Oh, of course. Well, if you're looking for us uh, specifically, uh, you know, this show, DN Discussions, you can find us on Twitter. And, of course, all of our episodes have been, uh, you know, cataloged and, and posted and everything uh, on dndiscussions.com, as well as on iTunes and Google, if they're even calling it iTunes anymore. I don't know anymore, but, you know, whatever. Um, Twitter, we're on Twitter at DN Discussions. If you have any questions, comments, uh, want to tell us about some of your ideas for, you know, running combat either on a grid or, you know, theater of the mind or just any other really cool ideas or topic ideas, anything that you want, send those emails to dndiscussions at gmail.com. And of course, uh, if you're looking for me on Twitter specifically, you can find me at Ben Bumhofer. Uh, Ryan, if people are looking for you, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at TBKZord. Exactly. And we're always happy to hear from you. Uh, if you want to, uh, you know, just send us a hi or ask a quick question or something, Twitter is a great place to do that. Now, Kyle, being the guest of honor and someone who I am very happy to have joined us this week, um, why don't you close us, close us out by telling everybody where they can find you? You can find me over on Twitter at Kyle Ferguson, but everything I do is over at kyleferguson.com. You can find links to my Heroes of the Storm video game show into the Nexus there, but D&D wise, you can find me all across the web podcasts. DM gives inspiration. It's a 20 minute max show where I talk about a single topic of the week that uh, well, interests me, but also teaches some D&D. Normally it's like, how can we make a 
Hope, for instance, were just a chase scene. And the mechanics of that help teach through the episode that story. I think, oh man, oh man. If I really, if I really be uh, proud here, my recent How to Make a City episode is all about Ghostbusters, the movie, Ooh, and how that yeah. city works in the background. <laughs> Perfect. And I, I can attest, it is a very good podcast. If you're into D&D, especially if you're a DM, definitely give it a listen. Oh, exactly. Thank you. Oh, I have to agree. I mean, just from the first episode alone, it, it opened up my eyes to so many different ways of looking at things and thinking that I really appreciate all the work that you do, Kyle. It, it's, you know, a huge asset to anybody who's looking to DM. Well, thank you very much for saying so. You bet. Uh, so, uh, everybody, until uh, next episode in about two weeks or so, uh, you know, enjoy your games, have fun, and be good to each other. Bye-bye.